Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. Our New Testament reading is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. join me in prayer as we pray for the preaching and the hearing of God's word. Our Father, as we bow before you, Lord, we are, we are, Lord, humbled before the word that you have spoken to us, the nature of your word, that it is eternal while our world fades. And that your word, Lord, is a sword that pierces and divides asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Oh Lord, help us now as your word is, is spoken, as it's meditated upon, enable us by your spirit to take it in deeply and be comforted by it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today we begin a new series of messages on the gospel and human sexuality. You know, when Jesus rises from the dead and appears to the disciples on the mountain, he declares that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And it wasn't just about evangelism. See, Jesus' authority is good news for the sexually broken. 
Christ's supreme authority over all things, including sexuality and gender, seems to be lost on our culture, to our culture, and, and for many Christians as well. A recent report on the state of theology released by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research reveals that 37% of professing evangelicals believe that gender is a matter of choice. Now, how does that mesh with the teaching of Holy Scripture? Well, maybe it's helpful to understand what they mean by evangelical. So they define, they define evangelical this way. They define evangelicals as people who believe the Bible is the highest authority for what they believe, that it's very important to personally encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of my sin. And only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's gift of, a free gift of eternal salvation. Now that's how they define, that's how they define evangelicals. And that's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's I mean, I, I mean, we believe all of that. Yeah. Yeah, but how, but how did 37% of people who believe these truths come to agree with a statement about gender being a matter of choice and not God's design? So clearly, there's a disconnect between what they say they believe and how they think the gospel applies to the current cultural moment in which they find themselves. As if the Bible is the highest authority for what we believe as Christians, then we dare not lose sight of what Scripture says about our bodies and gender. As it behooves you, it behooves you to understand what you possess when God gave you the body and the gender that you have. Earlier this year, I was out in Nebraska for the funeral of my father's last remaining sibling. And while there, my sister and, and a brother of mine and, and, and I, we stopped in to visit my, my mother's last living sibling. And she's 102. Full of fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, her, husband, her husband died a couple of years ago. But he had, he had this collection of baseball, basketball, and, and football cards that he had been collecting since he was a child. And his daughter was going to throw them away. I was horrified. I'm like, you don't know what you have. You don't know the value of what it is that you possess. Now, thankfully, my sister got a hold of them and took them to her son, who really does know and understands all those things, and, and found that there were several cards that he had that was worth some money. You know, and she was about to throw them away. Yeah, yeah see, you know, according to the state of theology, there's many of today's evangelicals are about to trash their gender and the value of their bodies. Because we don't, uh, the teaching of the Bible, though, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's far different from the culture as it talks about our bodies and gender. And from the text that we read this morning, we can see that our body and gender are blessed. They are powerful. It's, they're valued, and they are for God's glory. So let's think about this. The body and, the, and gender are blessed. Look at verses 12 through 13 of 1 Corinthians 6. 
All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You can hear echoes of Genesis chapter 1 in, in that statement of what Paul is saying, because uh, the instructions here that he's given. So Genesis 1, you may know and you might be aware of, I mean, that shaped how, how, we, how we act in the world. It shaped how we, how, how we are. How we, it's, it's a cultural mandate. To cultivate and to build, to build culture. And here Paul, with, with what he is saying, he is upsetting the culture. He is, upset, he, is, he, is, he is directly destroying a cultural practice. And so he's addressing a common saying of the day. All things are lawful for me. Yeah, you, that, that echoes of, of Genesis 1. I have the right to do with my body what I want. I mean, that's what that translates to, and, and, and that's, what, that's, that's what people today believe. I have the right to do what I want with my body. And, but in their day, it was not just their body, it was their slave's body as well. Men and women that I own, I have the right to do. And that was, that was, the, cultural, that was the cultural thought. Hence, all things are lawful for me. If that's your position in society, if that's not your, if you're the slave, that's not that's not the case. Well, Paul turns all of that on its head and to say, yes, the Christian is blessed, the Christian is free, all things are lawful, but not to be excessive. And they're free, but not without restrictions or accountability. Do you hear what he said? That, that, that God will destroy both one and the other. So there's accountability. Free to be responsible with the body and the gender that you've been given. So you're free. You're, we, you are free, but not to do whatever you want but within the boundaries of, of God's order and design. Otherwise, the libertine practice, is, it, it isn't beneficial. It isn't helpful. And that's exactly what he says. You know, so you're blessed to be free, but you're blessed to know what is helpful. Now, and, it's, and Paul would say that, it's not, I'm, it, that I'm not going to participate in what isn't helpful. And blessed to no longer be dominated by anything. No longer enslaved, not discerning what is beneficial and being in, and being in bondage to your appetites, ironically, doesn't depict the blessedness of freedom, but learning to control your desires releases you into a healthy freedom. See, sexual appetites that are, that are out of control doesn't lead to happiness or health. So Paul's, Paul's point is that we are blessed. We're blessed to know what the body and gender is meant for. And he says it. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Still echoes of, 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 of Genesis. See, but verse 13. That's verse 13. But blessing, blessing is what God gave to the body and to gender. Verse 28 of Genesis 1. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
See, that word blessing, it's a, it's a tender picture because it's a picture that the word itself carries the idea of kneeling with, with adoration. That God, that God does this. God, he, he kneels, this, he has, there's this picture of God adoring as he empowers and gives approval of his involvement in his man and woman. I mean, I mean is, that, is that a different idea of, 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 what, of what it is that God is doing, that we're blessed, that God is, that there's, there's this adoration, that there's this tenderness that, that God has, has poured into humanity. And it's, so, so it's a different picture about our body and gender and how it was formed and what our maker intended. See, the blessing is to them. Did you notice that? The blessing is to them, not as individuals, but as humanity. They, they are blessed the freedom and the blessing are not merely individualistic as the culture would have us believe. Because don't you know that's what the sexual revolution was about, right? It was about what you, what you are able to do individually. Some of you are old enough to remember the 60s, and that's when that's this revolution. But see, but see, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there was an earlier sexual revolution. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. See, that sexual revolution, it didn't free us. It enslaved us to passions and other people's domination. The blessing of freedom, benefit, and self-control comes when we follow the design of our bodies and genders in their beauty and complementary distinction. Wendy Shallot, who confesses that she's not, she was not raised religious, she wrote a book at the wise old age of 22. That was a joke. You know, but her book, her book set off a lot of controversy. And the, t- the title of the book was A Return to Modesty, Discovering the Lost Virtue. And she wrote to ask of the culture of, of her then college years, late 90s, because the book was 1999, it was updated in 2014. To t- and, but she was asking them to take note of the devastation of the current hookup culture on campus. And she, she, she was called names by her peers. You know, she was harassed. And, but, there, but there were also plenty of others from across the country and around the world who would write her and thank her for her courageous stand against the loose, careless, sexual lifestyle of students. And so she pulls down the curtain of the culture's smoke and mirrors of sexual promiscuity disguised as freedom. And she asks if, in, if internal qualities of character are more empowering to women than judgments about a young woman's body. And she writes this, the question is not, should we hold up a sexual standard, but rather, which standard should it be? When sexuality is made public, when it's no big deal and treat it just like any other commodity, it doesn't seem to lead to human flourishing in the same way sexuality does when it is saved for private delectation. Do you hear what she's saying? She's agreeing with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and she's saying that, yeah, that, that sexual excess is not freedom. And Jean-Jacques Rousseau, he saw this too, because he quipped, so decide to raise them. He's talking about the daughters. He's talking about women. Decide to raise your daughters, our daughters, like men. The men will gladly consent to it. The more women want to resemble them, the less women will govern them. And then men will truly be the masters. Yeah, so his tongue was firmly planted in his cheek. But, yeah, yeah. 
But what you see here is that right, right thinking about the blessing of your body and gender leads to greater freedom. God created the body and the gender to be blessed, but also body, the body and gender are powerful. Look at verses 14 and 16. And God raised the Lord who will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So two things in the text that show us that the body and, and gender is, is powerful. It's powerful because God raises dead bodies of which Christ is the first. And secondly, powerful because we are members of Christ. So one of the most significant ways that body and gender is powerful is in the fact that Jesus Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us. Somebody should have said amen. <laughs> See, Genesis 1.28 says God blessed the bodies of men and, and, the, and the women. And, and in that blessing, he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And that filling of the earth, be, even before, even before the, the sin of, of, of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that, that, that blessing looked down through the centuries to one of the sons of Adam who would be the second Adam, the son of God, the Messiah, who is Emmanuel, God with us. He became one of us so we could become a part of him. Hallelujah. See, you know, that's grounds to shout. I understand we got a clock. But sometimes those times are just suggestions. See, never mind. No. But see, first, first, Paul reminds him their bodies are, are members of Christ. So here again, the Apostle Paul is addressing the culture they were living in because it was not uncommon for that, that many temples in the areas would host dinners and afterward prostitutes were, were offered. So some Corinthian Christians were, were taking part in these cultural practices. And Paul reminds them that the nature of sex is making a bond of oneness with the person. And he says, you are members of Christ, a reality that's rooted in the resurrection. If God raises the Lord from the dead, he will also raise us up by his power. So the argument is that, that you are so much a part of Christ that his resurrection is your resurrection. And if that, and if that is the case, he is now looking, he's looking back at Genesis 2.24 where the two will become one flesh. And Paul is saying that the body and the gender of Jesus is so powerful that your union with Christ makes you, um, makes you members of his body. We all died, just as we were all in Adam. We are all in Christ. We all died in him. We all are raised to newness of life in him. That's Romans chapter 6. Therefore, you can't join yourself to a prostitute without involving Christ. May it never be. Do you see what the scripture is setting before us? 
See, to understand the power of the gift of your body and gender, you must know Christ. That he took on flesh matters to your sexuality. John Piper, in in the book, Sex and and the Supremacy of Christ, he says this, sexuality is designed by God as a way to know God in Christ more fully, and that knowing God in Christ more fully is designed as a way of guarding and guiding our sexuality. All misuses of our sexuality distort the true knowledge of Christ, and all misuses of our sexuality derive from not having the true knowledge of Christ. Let me ask you, do you think, do you think your gender, do you think of your gender as a powerful gift from God? What if that thought is that I don't know what, I don't know what everybody's thinking. I sometimes don't even know what I'm thinking, but, <laughs> but I, don't, I don't know what everybody, I don't know what everybody is thinking. And I, I, I know that the more you hear things in the culture that is really difficult to extract yourself from what the culture is saying. But what if, what if, what if you gave more concentrated, more consideration to the thought that your gender is a powerful gift from God than what it is that you're hearing in the culture? Than what someone or something else that's trying to affirm, uh, trying to affirm you though, in these cultural practices? Yeah. What, what if that's what you gave yourself to? Your emotional state can't be the most important thing. See, God has gifted you with power that is in your gender. Power that is connected to the source of eternal life, Jesus Christ. And, gives be, and, and it goes beyond death. You see, no drug, no or hormonal therapy can give you resurrection from the dead. Power is diminished when it is detached from Christ. See, don't let, don't let other people steal the power that you have in Christ by abusing your body and diminishing the value of your gender. Because the body and gender are value. Look at verses 17 through, through, and through, through the first part of verse 20. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Yeah, so, so there are a couple of ways to understand, to understand the value. One way of understanding the value of, of, of an item is, is it's, the, it's the consequences that the item carries. If you, if, if you devalue it, there's consequences. There's consequences to, 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 to the sin of underestimating the worth of your body in danger. The text says you sin against your own body. And there's one prescription that is given for sexual sins. Flee. And so I looked it up in the original Greek. I searched out the lexicographical range of meaning of the Greek word. I checked out the 30 other passages where this word appears in in the Greek. I, I checked it out. And do you know what I discovered? Flee means flee. (laughs) Run. Run. It's It's a brilliant strategy. It worked for Joseph. 
See, he ran, he ran from Potiphar's wife. She pursued him, the scripture says, day after day. He was a slave. She was his master's wife, his mistress, his, his mistress. He's supposed to do what she says. But since he has no, you know, he has no social standing. He has no rights. He has, he has, and, and therefore he has no claim to suffering any injury since if what she wanted to do, if she, if she wanted him to be killed at her pleasure, she could. He ran. See, some of you need to do like Joseph and flee. You need, you need to flee, flee, flee social media. I know I no amens coming on that one. <laughs> flee, flee, flee those, those, those DMs, those Instagram conversations, those, those TikTok videos, those web searches, those, those chat rooms. I know people still use them. Flee. Because your body and gender have value, and it shows in the consequences of the sin it, it, that, that it's against your own soul. But there's value also because this union was purchased by Christ's body and blood. You are joined to the Lord, becoming one spirit with him. You are valuing your body and gender when you recognize your union with the Lord. And if you're not, if you're not in union with Christ, of course you're, you're subject to all kinds of ideas about your body and gender. Because you don't know what it's for. The way way out of gender confusion is to begin to recognize the value of your body and its gender. Don't despise it. Don't reduce it. See, God God created your bodies and genders to bear his image. And one of the ideas behind bearing the image of God is to shadow him, to be his, that, that we're his shadow. So much, so much are we the image of God that God in Christ became like us. And by becoming like us, he showed us that human potential is far bigger, far greater than we know. And that, and that when, he, and when, he raised, when he rises from the dead, what Christ interjected into, into, into the cosmos is a whole new quality of living and a, an abundant life, eternal life. Life is expansive, and life is magnificent, it's powerful, it's blessed and eternal. That's what Christ interjected into into the universe. And to measure everything, to measure everything by your dislike of your gender, it's reductionistic. You're reducing, you're shrinking this expansive quality of of eternal life, and it abandons reality. Your emotional state is, is, it's one that's, Manipulated by the culture. You see, because if it were good, if it were good to indulge your sexual desire, then David would not have had the issues within his family after he killed Uriah and had children with his wife Bathsheba. But remember the consequences. The sword will not depart from your house. You see, if it were good to set your own plans for your sexual expression, then Abraham would not have sent Hagar away after she bore him a son. But God had his plans to bring his son into the world through the virgin who understood 
the value of her body and gender. When she heard from the angel, you will have a son. And she, how will this be? The power of the highest, the Holy Spirit will, over, and, and, and will, will overshadow you. And, and that child that is born from you will be called the son of the most high. And her response, knowing the value of her body, that it's for the glory of the Lord. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She bore the shame. She took on the stigma. He said, what shame? She bore the shame of being pregnant without being married. Remember, Joseph was going to put her away. And her son understood, too, that he had to be about his father's business and that his body would be made an offering to purchase a people whose bodies would become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm out of time. Well, it's a good thing this is a sermon series. We can pick it up next week. <laughs> oh, but it's a beautiful thing what God has done in, in giving to us our bodies and our gender. And we, as, as the church, as, as believers, as Christians, yeah, we, God has placed us at this, in this cultural moment to remain and to be just what, just what the Corinthians were and what they became. They became a rock in the stream of the culture that stood. While the culture beat against it, the rock remained. The culture changed. The rock stayed there. May the Lord help us to be that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, indeed, we are grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he did take on flesh and became one of us. Lord, you know every heart here and you know those who are struggling even now Lord because of the fall we are all sexually broken but you Lord Jesus have redeemed us sexuality gender and all you have redeemed us and we are yours and we look to you we come to you knowing that the punishment that brought us peace fell on you. Cleanse us, Lord, for the glory of your name. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.